And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a lovely Friday afternoon where we're just going to skirt right by the bad stuff. Just skirt right by it. Don't want to talk about it. And remember, there's also some good stuff. There's also some good stuff. Some good stuff did happen. But we're going to skirt past the bad stuff because I just don't just don't want to talk about it. But we do have to talk about the bad stuff in the NBA, which is that uh, Seth Curry tested positive for the coronavirus. And they found out at a game in the arena and had to pull him away. Once we get through that, we're going to talk about a team that weirdly not a lot of people are talking about it to help us do that. ESPN's Dave McMenamin. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about the good and the bad that we're seeing on the court these days. It's uh, The Lakers are offering up both. <laughs> Mostly yeah, we're, good, but by their standards, there's been some bad. That's the team we are going to talk about soon because weirdly, I don't think anyone's really... There's, they're by Lakers standards... You know, I felt I felt like years ago I knew all the details of Jordan Clarkson's social life, and now I'm like, where's my where's my Lakers coverage? I have to say that the beard is in fine form. Just a, just it. a great beard right now. I feel, have I you feel and, pretty good about it. Have you and LeBron ever discussed beard maintenance? Actually, we have, and I have told him repeatedly that he lets it get too bushy for from my taste. Like I would never do that with my because when it mine gets. To be a certain length, it starts to curl around the mustache, gets to my mouth, it's a mess, and it's just annoying. And I've, I've asked him the same thing. He says his wife doesn't like it when he goes grows that long. But, you know, I, I guess he, he enjoys the uh, – I think he likes to have a different look for different seasons. So when you look back at the images from the season, there is a, a different aesthetic to it. I think that's something to do with his beard levels. I approach fashion the same way. Every NBA season, I want people to look back and say, Zach looked pretty shitty that year, a little less shitty the year after, back to really bad the year after that. And just I just want everyone to be able to follow. I only ask because my daughter has the I Promise children's book that LeBron wrote. And the, the photo on the back, I was waiting to read it to her while my wife was reading another book to her last night. I'm looking at the photo on the back and I just... I couldn't stop admiring the clean line of LeBron's beard. I realized that's not the point of the book, but I was just fixated. Okay, anyway, important stuff. Seth Curry tests positive of the coronavirus. The Sixers are stuck in New York in quarantine. Um, obviously, the only thing that matters is that Seth Curry and his loved ones and his teammates are okay and safe and healthy and that Seth recovers um, recovers well from this. The league is – look, this is the reality that the league – embraced we're and the players signed on to it we're going to have a season we're going to do it in the plague um after in the bubble basically setting up a draconian rule system where the league through a medical review board said we have the power to ban older coaches among other people with risk factors from even going to the bubble the league and everyone else decided you know what we're just going to play everyone's going to go to hotels and we're going to have all these rules that if you break them you're going to get fined and punished and maybe that will work and everybody will obey Obviously, they knew there were going to be cases. We have to see the Sixers, I think, are scheduled to play on Saturday. We have to see what happens with that game. Uh, the team that I haven't heard a lot of concern about, frankly, and was my very first thought was the Wizards played the Sixers the night before, and Seth Curry played in that game. He was not going to play against the Nets on Thursday. Um, from what I understand, NBA players are tested twice a day. They take a point-of-care test before every game. That could be at shoot-around, that could be in the morning, that could be when they walk into the arena. Obviously, Seth Curry tested negative 
for the coronavirus before Wednesday as a game is the Wizards. From what I've understood talking to experts throughout the last year and, and to refresh my memory in the past few hours, that does not necessarily preclude the possibility that he could have played that game with some viral load that either didn't trigger a positive test or the test, you know, there there are misses on X percent of these tests. So we'll see what the Wizards do. But this is this is the reality that the NBA is dealing with. The Celtics have guys in quarantine and I'm not really sure, um, you know, what you're supposed to do except just soldier on. And that's that's what the NBA has decided to do. They built in the all star break to postpone games. And, you know, I had one I had one person in the league tell me before the season you know, we may find out that playing basketball indoors just isn't possible, no matter what rules we have. And and this is a person who knows what they're talking about. And I think that's a doomsday scenario, given the vaccination possibilities. I think the NBA will probably soldier through this season, but this is just going to keep happening and keep happening and keep happening, no matter what everyone's best intentions. And from what you told me, Dave, this didn't really come up after the Lakers game last night. The Lakers lost to the Spurs. The, the focus was on the, the other stuff after right. the game. But that game had its own specter of the coronavirus surge because the Spurs were without two staff members, including Becky Hammond and Drew Eubanks. And the Spurs didn't have shoot-around yesterday. Those three members of the organization were not at Staples Center. The Lakers played a game earlier in the week where their trainer, Nina Shea, uh, tested positive or there was a false positive test and she wasn't able to be with the team on the bench um it was determined to be okay she cleared protocol and flew back with the team to los angeles but as these cases or these incidents keep popping up to me i think the timing is something that we are learning here as you mentioned kind of a loose time frame depending on the day's activities of when players and staff members and coaches will be tested. But if the turnaround time is becoming an issue in the case with the Sixers, it would appear so because Seth Curry was on the bench next to Joel Embiid for a certain amount of time before he was pulled from that situation. I, I think they're going to have to introduce stricter time frames in order to do these testing. We'll see. Like I said, I don't know what the chances are that he had any sort of viral load in, in the Wizards game. All I've been told is it's a non-zero chance. That could be a minuscule chance. I mean, people don't seem to be particularly worried that the Wizards were exposed and that his teammates were exposed in that game. So maybe it's nothing. Uh, I am curious to hear what to see what we hear from the Wizards later today. But anyway, this is just the reality that we're all living in. I mean, this is, you know... Woj reported it last night, and I know, you know, this is like, a, unfortunately, a big part of his job now is like, who has the virus and who doesn't and what the tests are. This is this is life and it's the NBA. It's first world problem. It's just it's just uh, it's just life. Speaking of life, let's talk about the Lakers. Um, the Lakers won the championship last season um, a couple weeks ago, really, it seems like. <laughs> and I, I, I just, you know, the Knicks are a hot story. Um, the Sixers, before all this, were a hot story. Everyone's curious about how the Clippers bounce back. A lot the of the Western, We've talked the about the Rockets a lot. <laughs> I mean, we've kind of talked about the Rockets. We've, or, we've or talked James about Harden. the Rockets as a vehicle for James Harden's... James Hardenness, I'll just say. Um, James Hardenness. Uh, we've talked about the Hawks. Big buzz about the... All sorts of buzz about the Hawks. Seems, by the way, it seems like every team is 4-4. Four and four. 
Every time I look at the stands, like they're all Denver's. Denver's three and five. Portland's four and four. 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 Dallas what's wrong? Four and four. Yeah, what's wrong with all these four and four teams? Why aren't they any better? Meanwhile, the Lakers come out. They're six and three. They're sixth in defense and sixth in offense. Third overall in net rating. Uh, just lost to the Spurs last night in kind of a meh game. And maybe, maybe. Well, I'll just ask you. I do feel like the Lakers are, are no one's overlooking the Lakers. They have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're the undisputed favorites. Maybe that's why people aren't talking to them is be, talking much about them is because it's just sort of like they just won. We know they're going to wait to the playoffs to really turn it on. We all agree they're the championship favorites. Let's just like wake me up in whenever freaking month the playoffs are starting this year, unless somebody gets hurt. Is that why? Is that why there's been like relatively little Laker, you know, stuff? Yeah, I agree because it seems like they're winning based on roster construction and talent, and they haven't really scratched the surface of being what they can be, yet they still won two out of every three games throughout the first three weeks of the season. And so it's you kind of shrug your shoulders. You say they still have LeBron, they still have Anthony Davis, so they're healthy. Obviously, over the course of 72-game season, they proved to have a culture last year where they can integrate the other pieces in the proper manner. They're making threes better than they have in the LeBron James era. So that had been a supposed deficiency that they've covered up for. Okay, yeah, you say that they lost two of their rim protectors and they led the league in blocks last year, getting rid of JaVale McGee in a trade to Cleveland and Dwight Howard leaving for Philadelphia. But even with the stopgap solution guys they had or the reformed interior guys they have in Marcus saw in Montrezl Harrell a few games ago, they had 14 blocks in a game, which just doesn't happen all that often. So they can still do that because they have supreme athletes on their team. And so I, I think it's this collective, you know, let's pay attention to what they're doing in, in March and see how they tinker this team around the trade deadline. And they should be equipped for a long haul in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I think they're interesting for the, just the very fact of for a championship team, they do have a lot of turnover. And exchanging JaVale and Dwight for Marcus Soule and Montrez Harrell is a real stylistic sea change that has in, it, it gone into their numbers already. We can talk about that. Schroeder is a totally new piece for them. They didn't have really anybody like Schroeder. I mean, I guess Rondo is always Schroeder's comp, but this is older Rondo who doesn't look for his own shot much. And Schroeder is starting, which when they signed him or when they acquired him, via trade i did not expect him to start i thought he was going to be a sixth man again they would start west matthews in sort of the danny green mold and they've started him and that lineup is it's plus i have it down somewhere it's plus uh with kcp it's plus 32 and 68 minutes with kuzma because kcp's hurt it's plus 24 and 30 minutes add that up plus 56 and 98 minutes for the lakers starters that's pretty pretty good um, but they are interesting, and they are integrating a lot of new pieces. Um, I don't, I, I, you, you can't help but watch them and think two things. Number one, they are just scratching the surface of like, okay, where should Mark stand? What kind of sets can we run with Dennis and AD? Where's LeBron during those sets? How can we incorporate three of those players in some of our old sets and our new sets? And they're just figuring it out very slowly. And the second thing I come away watching them is, very often they are just sort of like, I watched their game in Memphis the other night that they won by four. That was a game 
I mean, they just they just were like, oh, what, what's the score? Okay, let's we're, we got play here now at the end. And last night they were kind of mad. Like they, you definitely get the sense that they are deservedly given their short turnaround, saving their juice for later. And I've spoken to members of the organization who have given an unofficial timeline of six to eight weeks from when the season began to be where they should be. Perhaps that timeline got accelerated after the Spurs loss because Anthony Davis was brooding and and it bubbled over during the game. He knocked over a Gatorade cart on the sideline in the third quarter. What did he knock it over with his arm? I only heard the crash. (laughs) And so I actually had to ask him about a post game. I said, listen, I hope I'm not totally missing the mark here, but it, it appeared that you knocked over a, a Gatorade Look, I'm just saying, because given AD's record of in-game x-rays, I do not want that dude exposing himself to more radiation because he hits a Gatorade. So what did he say? So he said, yeah, I was completely frustrated. Now, Anthony Davis is not a guy to usually pop off in press conferences, pretty measured. He was dropping several curse words in his uh, yeah, post-game presser. And he said at that moment in particular, he was – Frustrated with failed defensive assignments. He was frustrated that he missed two shots at the foul line. We know he's a really proficient free throw shooter. But to see him in that moment being like, enough is enough. This is not our standard. We had another game where we let the opponent score in the mid-30s in the first quarter, and we were playing from behind the entire way, which was an issue on that road trip that they had in Memphis. To me, was a sign of, maybe that six to eight week period will be four to five weeks before they look the way they should, because Anthony Davis is going to take ownership here. And that's a great thing because at some point in this structure, this venture between him and LeBron James, I think he will be the guy taking ownership. Um, And I'm not saying now should be the time because LeBron James has shown very little drop off, if any, to begin this year. But, him getting comfortable being the tone setter, I think is, is a really good thing for this team. And I remember people told me that was already starting to happen last year. Like people within the Lakers were pleasantly surprised that AD right upon coming would call out LeBron in practice when he was loafing on defense or missed a rotation or whatever. And pe- people said, Oh, okay, that that's healthy. That's healthy for our culture because we're going to make our bones on defense. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's talk about Gasol first, because God knows I love Mark. I just I can't rationally discuss Mark Gasol. He's one of my favorite players ever. The Lakers have taken on his game characteristics in this sense. They are much more of a finesse team when he's on the floor than they were last year. So here's a couple of examples. 
They're 27th in free throw rate this year. They were 6th last year. And that number plummets when Gasol is on the floor. Their offensive rebounding is, I think, around average after they just destroyed people on the offensive glass last year. And with Gasol on the floor, it would be about like bottom five in the NBA. They knew all that going in. The bet was that, A, he can still hang in on defense well enough that we can play super big and just smother people. And the Spurs tested that last night. We'll talk about that. I don't think Mark had a particularly good game last night. Um, And LaMarcus Aldridge had a particularly very good game last night. And it's not a coincidence. Um, And we'll make up for it with spacing because Mark can stand in the corner. Mark can spot up. Mark can declutter the lane for AD and LeBron. And I still think ultimately that bet is going to be correct. You already see like Schroeder and Davis running these pick and rolls on the left side. They empty out that side of the floor and Davis just has easy rim runs. Um, you see that play with LeBron sometimes too. And yeah, Mark hasn't lit it. We can talk about some of the concerns. Mark hasn't lit it up. Like the Spurs put DeMar DeRozan on Mark both both in both the recent... I feel like the Spurs and the Lakers have played seven times already. In like two recent Spurs-Lakers games, they started with DeMar DeRozan on Mark so that uh, LaMarcus could guard AD and just said, we dare you to post up Marcus Soul. We don't think he can score. We don't think he's going to get any offensive rebounds. They were largely proved correct. And on the other end... The Lakers last night had to take Marcus Gasol off of LaMarcus Aldridge because he was destroying them on pick-and-pop jump shots, and they were having to rotate extra guys to him, and they put Mark on Keldon Johnson. And, you know, look, those are issues, but teams would have treated Dwight and JaVale the same way. Like, ultimately, I still think this trade-off is going to work for the Lakers, and we haven't even talked about Harrell yet, but what what is the vibe about the new center duo? So in a vacuum on the LaMarcus front, AD actually name called the the guards as not understanding how they're supposed to play defense against a stretch five. And he, he said post game that Dennis and Wes, they're still getting acclimated to what we're doing, but they weren't executing what we need to be doing in that type of defense. So that was interesting to me because you would normally see when a guy like LaMarcus scores 28, you look across the ledger and you see the other center playing and you assume that Marc Gasol wasn't holding up his weight. But And they you know, did they, take Mark off of him. They did they did like enough is enough. You're guarding somebody else now. Right. Um, so that's that's one part. But to me, watching Mark, the best part about it, and you LeBron has really been excited in certain post game uh, availabilities, talking about the IQ and the passing. And LeBron's done this 18 years. Remember that. So there are times where it's probably not going to be as stimulating and as exciting as it would be because he's been through it so many times. And to add a piece to the puzzle that it's like, oh, that's that's kind of fun. It's kind of cool that I, I see we run DHOs with Mark and then we have Kyle dive and there's a pinpoint bounce pass that he catches in the pocket and he can finish right at the rim and not even think about it. Or KCP who's so good with moving at, without uh, moving without the ball, being able to you know kind of dive baseline or, or dart baseline and and catch a pass you know right in the pocket where he doesn't even have to bring it down and go right up for a layup. And Mark being able to thread the needle that way, I, I think that's something that will pay off in the long run because not just it produces offense and gives the offense a different wrinkle, but it engages LeBron James. And I think that's a great thing. 
considering he's seen so much already that sometimes the game can be not as stimulating as it, as it was a decade ago. Here's some LeBron stats. Um, he's playing a, about two fewer minutes per game this season, which is smart. So take these with a little bit of that context. But I was watching their game this morning. Uh, I woke up early and watched that game and they just seem so slow. Like they're slow to get into their sets. They're walking the ball up the court and LeBron gets to stand around a lot this year. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's maybe that's a double standard because I get on James Harden for standing around, but guess what? When you've won four championships and you're the best player ever or the second best player ever, you get a little, like a little leeway. You haven't done a lot of standing around your career, stand around. And so I looked it up time of possession this year. LeBron has the ball in his hands about 6.2 minutes per game. Last year, that was 7.4 minutes a game. His total front court touches, so touches once you get once you get over half court, are down from 39 to 32. And he's holding the ball for a little bit less and dribbling the ball a little bit less, which like dovetails with what with what my eye test has seen, which is that LeBron is going to is is has the luxury this season because of Schroeder mostly, and obviously because of AD of not doing as much of the heavy lifting. I remember in that first game against the Clippers, Dave, very first game of the season, LeBron hit a catch-and-shoot right corner three from Schroeder. Schroeder ran a pick-and-roll, kicked to LeBron in the right corner for an easy catch-and-shoot three. And if you go back, most of LeBron's corner threes, even the catch-and-shoot variety, are catch and hold and jab step and hold and jab. They're very rarely like, the Kyle Korver style catch and shoot three or like whoever stands in the PJ Tucker style catch and shoot three. That one was, and I made a mental note of that because I thought, I wonder if he's going to get more of those kind of shots this year, if he's just going to get easier points. It actually really hasn't happened, but you can tell. And I think this is a proxy for the Lakers are not playing at full throttle and will not be for a long time. You can tell that LeBron is, is justifiably sort of seeding a little bit, at least of the creative burden. And Schroeder has been really consistent, and I think that's part of the reason why you've seen LeBron be willing to cede some control there because it's not like a fly-by-night type of performance. Dennis Schroeder has been the third best Laker on this team this year, and considering the contract that they put on the plate of Kyle Kuzma and considering some of the accomplishments of the other guys that were on the championship team last year, that's no small feat considering they added the sixth man of the year in Montrezl Harrell. And with, with that, there's been some control, but there is also the expectation. I think that they're going to need that to be continued from Schroeder. And that's why I found it so interesting that Anthony Davis already has a comfort level with them where the point that he said they have gone home after games and both done their film study from their respective domiciles while texting about what they're seeing so there's a level of trust being built but at the same time Anthony Davis calls him out by name in a press conference for not being up to speed with the defense yet and um, to me that means that he is fully integrating into what they're about and and, and that's a great thing and, and this is what Schroeder has wanted you know he is a starter on a championship level team uh, and the Lakers certainly want to keep him uh, for the long haul and have him be, you know, as a 27-year-old point guard playing in L.A. into his 30s. I thought that was a great trade. I've said it a bunch of times. Like, I know Schroeder's a flawed player. That next contract might raise some eyebrows when it happens. Um, but 
you just when you're a championship team with no cap flexibility, you just don't get chances to acquire pretty good 26, 27 year old players who have a lot of time left in their primes who fit what you need on your team. You just don't get those. And if the Lakers could go out and get it, some people might raise their eyebrows at the price or the contract. I thought it was a good trade. I said that from the beginning. Um, Harrell is the interesting one to me because the Gasol fit, I get. like, And there will be nights when stretchy teams will test Mark a little bit. I think the Lakers are fine with that, though. Like, Mark can come out on the pick and roll, and they can, they have part of the reason they, they it was the same thing that happened in Houston. If you have to send Mark Gasol to the three-point line, to smother a Damian Lillard pick and roll. Yeah, that's not his comfort zone. But when you have AD and LeBron behind that play, all that size and athleticism, you don't really, you're not that worried about Portland or whoever coming in on a four on three. Like you can rotate and cover for that. Harrell is the one that I'm just very curious to see how that fit evolves. He, LeBron, and Davis have only played 24 minutes together the whole the whole season. It's very clear that Frank Vogel, for whatever reason, and I was very interested to see how often those three would play together because it doesn't strike me as the cleanest possible way to use the Lakers roster. And they have barely played together. And AD and Harrell play together a lot, so that, that fit is going to be fine because AD is amazing. Um, but Harrell looks to me like a really good just regular season innings eater. Like, come in. Just go nuts, rampage around, yell, scream, get offensive rebounds, get tip dunks, push up your little floater that goes in some of the time. And I, I like Trez. I think he's a good player. I, when the playoffs come, I'm curious how often the Lakers go from, like they have Gasol at center, they have Harrell at center, or Harrell and Davis, whoever you want to call the center. And then the ultimate reason why I'm just not ever going to be concerned about the Lakers is when they go to Anthony Davis at center with LeBron and three perimeter players, there's just no one has found an answer to that. And that includes this season. They're plus 25 and 31 of those minutes with LeBron and AD and no center. And they have plenty of perimeter depth, especially if THT is going to be a legit part of their rotation. They have plenty of depth to play all sorts of variants of those lineups. But Harold is Harold's an interesting fit. And I am very curious to see how that evolves. He said something really interesting when the Lakers were finishing off their four game road trip where he said that the, the the Lakers allow a freedom on offense that he hadn't been afforded in his career yet. And maybe that means he is better than he was at earlier stages of his career in, in Houston and with the Clippers. But we've seen him spot up and go into his jab series and take face-up jump shots from 18 feet. We've seen him catch the ball out on the, the high post and put it on the floor and, and go into a spin move and finish. He's got a good um, spin move. He's got a he nice, does. tight, fast spin move. And him and AD were – you mentioned his floater. Him and AD were debating that earlier this season about who has the best floater for a big man in the league. And, and is it AD or is it Trent? So, whoa, 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 whoa. In the league? Perhaps – I may have misquoted. Perhaps it's on the team. I hope it's on the team. But, I, they but I think the way AD described it was the best floater for a big man. Well, I'll tell you the answer to that question. Jokic? Big boy down in Denver. That's yeah. the answer. They yeah. can just look look over there and you'll see the <laughs> guy with the best floater. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, but all those parts of the game are not necessarily the junkyard dog, the hit the offensive glass, the you don't necessarily need to even call a play for him to have him be involved. And I think 
if you think about kind of the same point I was making about LeBron, right? He's 18 years into this thing and you want to give him new toys to play with on the court. Trez has been that guy in the box of energy and defense and hustle and take charges and finish around the glass and have long arms and get deflections and, and things of that nature for so long. You give him just a little bit more leash, you're probably going to get a bigger buy-in. And, and at least early on, that I think is what you're seeing from him. When I know that things went a little sour with the Clippers last year, maybe a lot sour with the Clippers, but talk to people there over the years. Trez's spirit, and you can it, it, that spirit manifests itself in many different forms. But even just the form that is trash talking other te- other teams' players, taunting them, yelling and screaming. There's a certain effect of, oh, it's game 32. I just don't really feel it. And then Trez comes in and starts like rattling the rim, gets teed up for hanging on the rim. He's yelling at people. And the rest of the team is kind of like, all right, this is, this is kind of fun. I'm getting a little energy off of this guy. Like, I think that's a thing. That's a real thing. And I don't want to be like over the top about this point, but I totally agree with you. And we might need our, our guy, Kevin Pelton, to figure out like a metric for this. But without 19,500 screaming fans that will give the adrenaline boosts in wave for you know positive adulation for what you're doing out there and, and players can tap into that, I think it's extra valuable to have someone like Montrose Harrell in your organization, on your roster, on your bench. Zach, I don't know if you've been going to games yet this year, but the uh, I was in the bubble, and the bubble you're in arenas that sit 4,500 people or something like that, max capacity, and they were surrounded by these massive video screens, and there was a concentration of the energy onto the court. It, it kind of made more sense. Um, I've been going to games at Staples Center this season. It's cavernous. It's massive. It's echoey. It's empty, and it, you don't, at least to me, and I've texted with several people on the Lakers staff as games are going on, and they've kind of agreed with my premise that this doesn't feel like the same concentration of energy. Uh, it's still an adjustment period going on to make this feel as legitimate as NBA basketball should feel. So as that adjustment period is happening, to have a guy like Montrezl Harrell who doesn't know any other mode but 11 on a scale to 10, I, I think really only makes him more valuable to the team. Well, look, I want to preface all this by saying first world, beyond first world problems. Okay, just be, beyond it. But you talk to people at every stratum of a team, people in the traveling party, it's just going to be a slog. Like, there's just nobody that's excited to play this season. That will change when the playoffs come. For If the playoffs come, for a variety of different reasons, that could change, right? But one of them is the obvious one where the stakes get much, much bigger. And when the stakes get bigger, we saw in the bubble, guys play hard, the basketball looks beautiful, all that. Everyone is just sort of like, we've all agreed to play. We just got to get through the season. I mean, uh, the Spurs were just in L.A. for four days. All you can do is sit in your hotel room. That's it. And again... These are nice hotels, first world problems. The food's great. Nobody's crying. Nobody's, I'm just saying, compared to what they are used to, it's just kind of a slog. And, and you talk to everyone in the league and it's just, we just got to get through this season. 
everyone agrees um, it's going to go by fast. We're, we're going to blink and the playoffs are going to get here. It's just going to go really fast. And let's just hope and pray that next year is normal, which is not a guarantee, but who knows? We'll see. It's just it's just going to be. And as you said, there's no juice at the games. The games are eh. You know, they're just eh. They are. They are. We. It's manifested itself by a preponderance of blowouts that we've seen. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I'm not trying to say that there aren't moments where you can still convince yourself that you are watching a pure distilled NBA product and all the guys are into it and there's physical prowess and mental acuity on display and harmony. And wow, that's what we love about the NBA. But there are definitely moments and stretches where, I, I mean, I wonder if there's any correlation between Bradley Beal and Steph Curry and even Dame in the bubble all scoring 60. I mean, isn't there something to that? Where I mean, I know guys are more talented and, and more accustomed to shooting three-pointers and all those guys are, are some of the best you know marksmen we've seen in this game. But uh, I think the absence of the pressure – and the, the, the pull of, of having the expectation of 20,000 people in the building viewing you uh, and watching you and judging you and cheering you, um, that absence can create situations where, where guys go off like it, it was a practice. And, you know, that's cool. It's cool, but it, it's, it's not really what the NBA has been built on. I, the basketball will be great when the basketball needs to be great. Let's just wrap with a couple more Lakers things. So LeBron said, I forgot to give you, this season, 29 picks per 100 possessions when he's the pick-and-roll ball handler. Last season, 37. So, again, the volume of everything he's doing is down. The last thing on Mark and how he's changed the team, the upside for the Lakers of teams putting their centers on AD and putting little guys or whoever on Mark, just hiding people on Mark, the minute you put your center on AD, and I don't care if it's LaMarcus Aldridge who used to be a four or whatever. I don't care if it's a fast center. If it's a center and he's on Anthony Davis and the Lakers have spacing on the floor, they can just go right into the LeBron AD pick and roll over and over and over again. Because if there's a center on AD, suddenly you can't switch that play anymore. If it's a four on AD... A lot of teams are built to switch that play. Now, teams can rejigger the matchup so they can still switch it. But if there is a center on AD because you're that scared of his post game, the Lakers, when it counts, will just say, okay, we're putting our two best players in it. They did it a little bit, tiny bit in the third quarter last night and got a lot of good shots and then whatever, the game got away. They're just going to go to that play over and over and over again. And so I just... I still think this team is is the championship favorite until proven otherwise. I, I think all the moves they made in the offseason have made them different, but ultimately at least as good, if not better. Nothing I've seen has changed that. The last question I'll ask you, Mr. McManaman, is just give me like next five games. Is there, an, is there something you have your eye on? Is there something you're curious about, whether it's the rotation, a particular player, a lineup? Is there something you're just sort of like fixated on? Well, one, I, I want to see them back at full strength. So Alex Caruso returned from a five-game absence because of contact tracing. He was effective in the Spurs game, but the minutes he was playing, the, the Lakers were already trying to climb back from behind. And so he's back, but Contavious Caldwell-Pope has missed the last three games with an ankle. So I, I want to see them getting back to that starting lineup that you mentioned that has such a wild plus-minus 
with that five-man group. Get them back on the court, slot Kuz back into his role off the bench because if they can get him as another kind of counted-on, automatic, consistent guy, they're going to get towards that next tier that they can be at. Because like right now it is it's, – it's LeBron and AD as the most consistent Lakers. Schroeder has – pretty much done that this year and i give him a lot of credit for that because to go from role player to consistent mm-hmm. you know, uh, knocking on the door of stardom type of guy that's what you have to do trez is kind of slotted below there and then you have the wild vacillations of kyle kuzma which has really been the story uh, of that's his, a good band his, name like right the there there should be an la band that calls himself the wild vacillations of kyle kuzma <laughs> and you know kuz would get into it he'd, he'd go to concerts it would be it would be a whole thing i think that's that's not a terrible idea i think we've unearthed something on this podcast today zach we may not have quite figured out the best way to use marcus all but we have found a, another marketing opportunity for kyle kuzma and that's what the guy needs, quite frankly. So yeah, know. he's been undercovered through his NBA career. I don't know enough. Don't know about much him. about him. I don't know who he dates. Don't know what he wears. I don't know who he dates. Is he dating someone famous? You really don't know. Is it a Jenner or a Kardashian? No, it's a model, supermodel. Okay, Kuz. What's so, what's the young lady's name? Winnie Harlow. Uh, I've I don't know who that is. Her acquaintance, but uh, you know they are very active in sharing photos on social media. She was. A guest of his down in the bubble. So look at, look at the things Coos. I'm look at the things I'm learning. Good for Coos, but uh, I, I, that's one thing. And then, honestly, I'm looking forward to next week when the the Pelicans come to town because it's it's a fun game already. Because you have the chippiness factor. Be you know, uh, Josh Hart and Ingram and Lonzo aren't. I don't know if they're ever going to be totally comfortable with what happened in that trade. Uh, even though it may be the best thing that ever happened, certainly for Brandon Ingram. So I, I interviewed Bi a couple a couple times in the last month for a piece I'm going to do, and I asked him in the first interview. We did it over Zoom because I want to do it face to face. And I said, "Was it weird watching the Lakers win the championship?" And he just kind of looked. I can't remember if he smirked or he grinned, but it was very clear he was like. Not taking the bait on that one, <laughs> and then he and then he gave and then he gave of like a very no, it's weird. It's just another team, you know. It's just we're all trying to win the championship. Blah blah. blah. I'm gonna look forward to that piece because he was on a recent appearance with JJ Redick, and uh, I think he's really coming into his own. I think he's reaching another level of of being a young man in this league, and so I'm looking forward to that game. And then we have a healthy Zion, and we really haven't had a, a great LeBron Zion game yet, and uh, I I think that would be. A ton of fun to watch Friday night. That's that's great. Tune in, Lakers I like Pelicans. It. All right, Mr. McMenamin, thank you as always for your time. I'm sure we will reconvene to talk about this little engine that could that you cover out in LA. <laughs> uh, be safe. Best to your family. Yes, sir. You too. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. All right, let's bring in friend of the program, one of the very best in the world at what he does to talk about the other two teams who were allegedly in the inner circle of contenders last season and fancy themselves in that same inner circle this season, the Bucks and the Clippers. Mr. Kevin Pelton, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Are you excited about the Seattle Kraken? I, I am not nearly as excited as I would be when or if the Seattle Sonics come back, but uh, we're we're getting close. We're in the year of the Kraken now, so that's that's something. I just can't take it seriously. I'm sorry. It's called the Kraken. I can't take it seriously. I have a, I have one of my best friends from college lives in Seattle. He's trying to get me into the Kraken. I said I just can't. I'm sorry. The name has grown on me. I I, I got a Kraken hoodie. I'm in. All right. I'll give it a shot. Um, I'll give it a shot. Anyway, um, so I just had Dave McMenamin on to talk about the Lakers because I, I weirdly think the Lakers are sort of just not going under the radar, but just sort of going along there and burying business. We all know what the Lakers are. They're interesting, but we don't need to talk about them. The Bucks and the Clippers, uh, it was your idea to actually do a Bucks clippers follow-up to this because, as I said, those are the two teams that I think those were the three favorites last year. And I, and I think we all viewed – I mean, I picked the Clippers to win the title. I believe you picked the Clippers to win the title. We all viewed those teams as relatively equal, and in the end, two of them flamed out in a horrible fashion, and one of them soldiered on to win the championship in rather dominant fashion. And so I do think we're almost 10 games in now. You're right that this is an interesting time to sort of, okay, the Bucks made one gigantic change and then a bunch of minor changes to their bench. The Clippers, two rotation big men out. One very good rotation, big man in, our starting center, Serge Ibaka, and Luke Kennard on the bench. So some big-ish changes on both teams. Um, start with Let's start with the Bucks. Um, number one in offense by a mile. Number 13 in defense. Number one in net rating with an absolutely preposterous plus 13 points per 100 possession scoring margin. Drew Holiday is the big ticket new addition. What strikes you about the Bucks? Is this team better, same, worse? Too early to tell. What's interesting, Mr. Pelton? I think too early to tell. And, you know, what's interesting, so the, when I posed this question to you, it was, number one, do these teams belong in the same tier as the Lakers? Because I think we have a disagreement on one of the two of them. And then number two, can they do anything in the regular season to prove that they belong in the same tier as the Lakers? Or is it just you're going to have to prove it in the playoffs? And I think Milwaukee might not be able to prove much to us in the regular season because of the fact that they've, they've been so dominant in the regular season. This is nothing new for them. The way they're doing it is a little different in terms of they've just been making all of the three-pointers thus far. They've made It's, cra- it's crazy. I looked at their individuals because I knew DiVincenzo was over 50%. And I was like, let me see who else is really... I mean, you watch the games, you get a sense that they're all going in. 
like Middleton, 54%, Connaughton, Connaughton, 50 Augustine and Forbes are in the mid-40s. It's like, but what, what's going on? Drew, Brooke Lopez. Yeah, I mean, they've made 11 more three-pointers through their first eight games than any team in NBA history, breaking the record that they previously shared last year with Houston. So, you know, it, but at a much higher percentage, that, that was more a product of volume, which is really what it's been for the Bucks in the past. And eight games of three-point shooting is not enough to change our opinion about that. But if there is a hope for the Bucks, why they are going to be in the better in the playoffs this year, I think it's the fact that Eric Bledsoe's non-shooting was such a problem in the past and that Dante DiVincenzo, if he can take a step forward and then you're putting, you know, four guys you at least have to respect out there around Giannis. Yeah, it's it's such a cop out, I think. And I'm not saying you because I do the same thing to just be like, well, we just have to wait and see on the Bucks. The Bucks are the Bucks are out of the contender circle until they're in until they're it's it's until they win the championship where it's like you, so you win either way. Right. You win when you're skeptical in the regular season. Then you win again when they win the championship. You're right all along. I do think it behooves us behooves to watch this team and not just say, well, wait and see. But are there signs that this team will do better in the playoffs than their predecessors. And you just nailed the first one, which they're not going to shoot like, you know, Lola Bunny and Space Jam all season. Lola Bunny's good in Space Jam, right? Is she good or is she bad? I It's been a minute. I don't remember off the top of my head. I think she's pretty good. Um, I mean, they don't have a lot of players on the team. It's unclear to me how they won. Most of their players are really, really bad. Uh, it's just like, like it just doesn't matter. Space Jam's bad. That's my hot take. Space Jam's bad. Space Jam 2, LeBron, this is important. This is like a big part of your legacy. This is the third paragraph of your career legacy. Space Jam 2, don't blow it. Um, uh, I don't even know what the hell. Oh, they're not going to shoot this way. Yes. Um, I said the minute they got Holiday, you and I even talked about it, I think. I now I now trust three-fifths of their closing lineup, whereas it was two-fifths a year ago. And by that, I mean who's not going to hurt the spacing on offense and who can stay on the floor defensively. So Forbes, Augustine, Cool. They'll come in in the second quarter and win you some minutes here or there in the playoffs. When it's when it's go time, they just against some teams at least, it's going to be hard to have them on the floor defensively. That's why Divincenzo to me is the one. If he is a thirty-eight percent three-point shooter and better than that on wide open catch and shoot threes, the Bucks are in business because that because he can play, he's a very good defensive player. He's a great rebounder. He's just a smart basketball player. If that's real then I do think this team is markedly different in playoff championship equity than the previous versions. And and I think the measure that we should look for is if there's something that's undone the Bucks in both the last two playoffs, it's that their half-court offense fell apart. Like I, I pretty much trust this team to play decent defense. Yes, we would like them to be a little more adaptable and switch more and not be so you know doctrinaire about how they play. Fine, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But their half-court offense fell apart against Toronto and fell apart against Miami. And a lot of that was A, predictability, and B, shooting. And I, I do think they've addressed those problems to some degree. Drew Holiday brings another, a, a, whether you consider him a point guard or not, he's going to play point guard a lot for this team. He can run, pick, and roll with Giannis as the screener. I'm not sure defenses are going to respect his shooting on that play when it really counts. I think they're going to dare him both on the ball and off the ball. But I do think this is a better shooting team. And, in, I, I, you know, they're 13th in defense. I think they'll be an elite defense by the end of the season. So I, I do think they have I, – I, my expectation for them in the playoffs that they're healthy will be a little higher. 
Same, and I, I picked them to win the East again this year. And and the other thing I think that probably deserves to be mentioned with both of these teams is, you know, the bubble was weird. Like, I think there was such a desire to make sure that we didn't have any of the ridiculous asterisk talk that, you know, we didn't acknowledge that these teams that worked all season for home court advantage didn't get any benefit of that. We'll see what kind of benefit they're going to be able to get from it this season, since there obviously hasn't been much so far with very limited fans in some arenas and none at all in most, but it's going to be a different situation. It's, and I, I don't think that we can necessarily take last year's playoff failure as an indication that the exact same thing is going to happen with Milwaukee. And Drew Holiday is the biggest difference besides that that speaks to what's going to be different. But I, I was hoping that we were going to see a little bit more of that adaptability from Bud at the defensive end, especially like they've had generally one of either DJ Wilson or Thanasis Adetokounmpo in the rotation throughout most of the season. Those are guys that you should be switching with. Like their best attribute defensively. So are Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis, the defensive player of the year, because he can guard every position known to humanity, including the Monstars in Space Jam. So I get that you don't want to do it with Brooke Lopez and, and Bobby Portis. Yeah, totally makes sense. But let's just maybe just try it a little bit when those guys are on the court and see how it goes, and just have it there in our back pocket. I mean, that's something that you know we've talked about many times over the years, is coaches using the regular season to some extent for experimentation, including you know, Pop doing it in San Antonio when Bud was his assistant. The Bucks are the number one half-court offense so far, tied with the Clippers, according to Cleaning the Glass, which made me very excited until I remembered that the Bucks were the number two half-court offense last year <laughs> before they pooped the bed against Miami in the bubble. They are also the number one transition offense by a lot, and my God, are they running. I don't know why this team is so much more aggressive running the floor. I mean, they were pretty aggressive last year. They were a fast team, but they are they have re-emphasized and re-emphasized we are going to be a running team, and we're going to have three-point shooters around Giannis, and we're just going to fly, and they are absolutely flying. And that's going to be a great way for them to win a lot of games during the regular season. Yes. How much that helps in the playoffs is an open question. And I guess the other thing that we were wondering about, you know, that we might see during the regular season is, is there anything different from Giannis as a player? Because not that it was his fault that they lost to Toronto in the conference finals in 2019 or, or Miami last year, particularly after the injury, but you know, those teams were both able to make life difficult for him, make him less efficient by taking away a lot of the rim finishes that are the bread and butter for him that are going to make him, you know, a perennial MVP candidate and force him into kind of that in-between game, you know, more of those shots Mm -hmm. that are in the paint but not in the restricted area where, you know, that's kind of his kryptonite. His powers go away a little bit on those shots. And I I don't feel like we've seen much different from him in terms of a floater or in terms of a post-up game or that sort of thing that you you would have kind of hoped to see as an an addition. Yeah, I I don't feel like I've seen much either. I'm trying to look up the numbers as we're talking because I'd forgotten to do it before about whether he's posting up any more or less this season because I I do feel like that's an area where... It's a good. tiny bit more. I did I did look it up on second spec. Well, good for you, Kevin. You did your homework <laughs> before the show. Awesome. Um, okay, well, then I'm just going to close this window and not look at it anymore. Uh, yeah, it's a, I, but I haven't noticed anything that suggests to me that there's much real, that, he, that he's a demonstrably different player with any kind of sort of go-to mid-range move or anything. The free throw percentage is, you know, 62% about where it was last year. Um Assists are the same, turnovers are the same. Like, you know, it, which, by the way, 
he's the same player. Well, what a disappointment. He's a two-time defending MVP. I mean, right. I'm not sure. But you would like to see... And maybe it's early, right? It's early, so who knows? But I agree with you. That was the, one of the other things, and I talked about that with Malika when she did her her profile on Giannis a few weeks ago. She had this great anecdote about him practicing free throws and um, post-ups and the way he would punish himself when he missed two free throws in a row or a free throw, I can't remember, was having his um, his fiance or his wife, I can't remember what their relationship is, and run up and down the court holding their infant or baby son as as a punishment and i thought well he's practicing the right things but i haven't really seen much yet but maybe there's just not much more to do with Giannis. maybe he's just you know he's just this is what he is and that's great it also might be unfair because he didn't have a real offseason you know not as dramatically so as the teams that made it all the way to the finals but you know this still was a condensed offseason for any team that made the playoffs as compared to you know teams that had nine months off between games so. that's true and i shouldn't say that maybe this is all there is for Giannis because he's still 26 years old and the guy works his ass off so there will be other there will be changes but you know look maybe the bucks aren't on as on the clock as they were since Giannis has signed the supermax but you know, they have a they have a MVP in his prime. Like you're kind of always on the clock, and an aging supporting cast, which is I think one thing we talked about. You know, the last time that we were on, we had this discussion that you know Dante Divincenzo is the only guy that's kind of on an upward trajectory of that group. So you know, if there's going to be growth and and it's, it's got to be him, and you know, if he does become that 38 percent three point shooter you mentioned earlier, then you know he's a pretty reasonable facsimile of Bogdan Bogdanovich, and maybe the fact that you weren't able to trade him for Bogdanovich no longer stings as much. Buck starters are plus 50 in 90 minutes. And next to that, I wrote LOL. That's a, that's a lot of points. That's a lot of that's a big old plus. Um, yeah, and you look around the East. I mean, uh, this is going to be a very weird season with people in and out of the lineup. And I think we're going to get to the end of the regular season if we get to the end of the regular season and say, boy, I really is Brooklyn. How good is Brooklyn? How good? It, what, what, that was a weird season for that team. A lot of guys in and out of the lineup, and some that guy got hurt and whatever like how good is that team how good is that team you know you look around the east and it's sort of brooklyn i mean kd's missed games kyrie's missed games miami's sort of scuffling about philly's off to a great start now they have obviously the seth curry thing to deal with boston's been up and down but finding ways i think to their credit to win games i you know you don't know what to make yet of a lot of these teams and you also have this feeling like i'm not sure we're going to know quite what to make of them when the games really start to count I feel like, yeah, the Bucks' record is underwhelming so far, but I, I, I feel pretty confident like I'm going to know what to make of this team by the end of it if they stay healthy and avoid all the pitfalls that are sitting out there for everybody. Certainly the starting five. I mean, I think the question going into the playoffs will be what can this bench give them? You know, are there going to be matchups where DJ Augustine and Bryn Forbes that's just too small a backcourt where you can't play those guys at all? You know, you think back to like, the way Toronto had to adjust against Philadelphia's size in the 2019 conference finals. And they do have other other options there. Torrey Craig hasn't played a whole lot yet because he had the uh, the nasal fracture, but you know, they're going to have some options, although they are somewhat limited from the fact that, you know, you're at a smaller roster and two of those spots are on second round draft picks. Although Sam Merrill has been surprisingly effective in his limited action thus far. As has Nawara, who's again shooting like 55% from three on a limited, limited sample size. Um, yeah. Torrey Craig's a good name. Connaughton's missed some games recently. Like they'll have some optionality. I do agree their bench trends small and not very good defensively, but 
you know, again, the bench will shrink in the playoffs and whoever survives that shrinkage will be surrounded by very good defensive players when they are on the floor. So maybe it doesn't matter. Let's turn to the Clippers. Um, third in offense, 20th in defense. Um, and, you know, sitting kind of where you would expect them to sit overall in the league so far, minus one absolute shellacking against uh, the Dallas Mavericks when Kawhi didn't play and they lost by a thousand points. The Clippers are six and three. Uh, plus three net rating, which is okay. Uh, again, skewed very much by that by that one gigantic loss without their best player. Um, Ibaka, I think, is fit in well. Kennard is fit in pretty well. You know, this is the other wait-and-see team, right? I mean, was this the team you think we disagreed upon? It is, yeah. I think they belong in that same tier with the Lakers. I mean, I picked the Lakers to win the title this year. They're the safer bet. The Clippers might just be jinxed as a franchise. We can't rule that out. I think we can. Keep- I think at this point we really can't rule it out. I, You know me. I'm not a big jinx guy, although I do believe in the basketball gods and the subset of basketball gods that are the lottery gods. But for some reason, I just, I, I after the Denver thing, I really did have a moment where I thought to myself, I wonder if all this metaphysical stuff is actually real and the Clippers will just never win. I mean, when like twice in a decade, you lose a 3-1 lead in a second round series because of the fact that the other team is unsustainably hot in terms of its shooting and you're unsustainably cold. Like that, that shouldn't happen twice to the same team in that short a period of time. I can still see Doc Rivers' face as game seven was getting away from him in the Clippers. And it was just this stoned face, like, not calm. Like, you could tell behind the exterior that, like, like it was like a clenched exterior stone face where you, you knew behind it, like, he was thinking about Josh Smith and Corey Brewer and and how is this happening again. But he wanted to put forth, put forth a calm visage. But behind it, you could tell again. So maybe maybe that should be the discussion. Maybe we need to get the witch the witch from uh, uh, the Ringer NBA show to come on and discuss this. Uh, I, well, don't we need to stage the arena? Is isn't that it? I don't know. I'm just saying we need. Uh, maybe I'm. You're the wrong. Per- you're the exact wrong person for this discussion. Actually, I need to get the polar opposite of you to discuss whether the Clippers are actually cursed. I need to find a psychic or something. <laughs> that is correct, but. I, I mean, the fact that the Clippers are now 3-2 and two against the Lakers in the last two seasons, one of those two losses came when they were awfully shorthanded because of the quarantine situation in the first seeding game in the bubble. I, if they can get to a Lakers matchup at some point in the playoffs, I, I think you have to feel pretty good about the Clippers' chances and how well they match up in that series, and that's why I think they do belong in that top team. When you said if they can get to that matchup, when you said that sentence— did lightning strike outside your house? <laughs> I didn't see it. I will grant you that the Clippers should be in. Look, I picked the Clippers to win the championship last year. I think they're awesome. I think Ibaka is just a hand-in-glove fit for that roster as, as, a, as the pick-and-pop guy who can shoot threes and protect the rim. Can he still switch? Maybe, sometimes, kind of. I don't know that you want to do it a lot against elite point guards. Or LeBron, maybe I don't know. Maybe sometimes um, they are tied with the Bucks as the number one half court offense. Their defense, once you once you exclude that blowout, is totally fine and in form as you would expect. With Kawhi on the floor, 118 points per 100 possessions, 106 allowed. 106 is like 
probably a top five, six defense right now on the team level. Kawhi and PG, 116, scored 97 allowed. So the big picture metrics are good. Marcus Morris just came back. They do face a somewhat interesting decision whether they should start him or keep the Batum. I, I'm shocked at what they've gotten from Batum. I, I thought he was about done. He did nothing in Charlotte. I mean, really nothing by the end. And he's done a whole lot of something for them. He's making shots. He's guarding elite players some nights so that Kawhi and PG don't have to. I don't really know what the right answer to that question is. I don't even know that it matters. Uh, if it doesn't matter to Marcus Morris, who reportedly told them, hey, stick with Nick for at least this game. It, I, you know, it's just nice to have another piece back, another player back, because the, the one concern I had was this Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, Luke Kennard threesome they're bringing off the bench is not is not palatable against good playoff lineups defensively. And so with one more bigger guy, you can excise somebody from that from that threesome if you need to. I mean, Batum's emergence is so big for them because you know, you looked at what they did this offseason before they picked him up, and it was like, okay, I like what they've done with the starting five here. You know, I think Ibaka is a safer finishing option than Montrez Harrell was going to be come postseason. But they've left themselves awfully thin behind this group. And, you know, Zubac is, Zubac is still a reliable player and, and obviously Lou Will. But, you know, outside that top seven, there were big questions. And Batum turning that into, I guess, Kennard then. So, so it was eight. But ter- Batum turning that into a nine-player group that you can really feel you can trust in the playoffs is a, a really enormous difference. And, you know, I think we've just come to learn now that anytime that there is a you know, talented French player later in their career who's struggling on a Charlotte team that is in the lottery that you just have to pick that player up and they are immediately going to be revitalized when they get to a new team. (laughs) I guess you've come up with another good rule for us. I guess the only area that's a little concerning to me is much was made of how Ty Lue was likely going to um, put the pedal to the metal in playing small and shooting a lot of threes. And that really hasn't happened yet. They're shooting a little more threes, I think, a tiny bit more threes. But the the alarm bell to me, it's not an alarm bell, but it's a bell of some kind. Maybe a bell you put around the cat's neck or something. Um, Only the Suns and the Magic are generating fewer shots at the rim. And the Clippers are like 21st in free throw rate. So there's sort of a rim pressure element that's missing a little bit. Maybe some of that is sort of built into the exchange of Harrell for Ibaka in, in terms of the style that they play. And, and I do think Ty has got them moving a little bit more on offense. And it shows you how simple it could be. They're not running anything complicated. It's not like Princeton offense. It's not elevator doors. It's not anything sexy. It's just throw the ball to the elbow. You two screen for each other on the left wing. You two screen for each other on the right wing. Maybe back cut it sometimes instead of coming off a pin down. And they're getting easy buckets for it and from it. And the first the first set of movements will flow into the second set and then the third set. It's just, it doesn't have to be anything like high level. It's just basic flowing basketball. And he's, he's instituted a few easy sets that get them moving a little bit. I do think that's helpful. The rim shots though, is something I will monitor. I think it's a concern. I, I came out of the deep dive on the Clippers less optimistic about them after that impassioned speech about why they belong in the first year than I was before it. I mean, they're, uh, you know, the second spectrum quantified shot quality measure that we talk about from time to time in terms of, 
you know, what would an average team or an average player shoot on the kind yeah, my, of shots? Yeah, my wife and I talk about it at dinner from, to, from time to time. <laughs> Second spectrum data, which shoots, you know, well, strictly on this podcast. Uh, they're they're second from the bottom in that metric so far. So that's who's, can I guess who's last? You know, I, I'm not sure I remember off the top of my head. Oh, this okay, last. all right. I expect you to have all the data that's, at the ready. I would guess Cleveland. That's the would one be thing my, I didn't have. Cleveland would be my guess for last. I don't know why. Just so they're not taking any threes, but it doesn't well, matter. And they they played an entire game and won it without a point guard. I watched that uh, game. You know, while the world was watching Denver Dallas, and I watched the end of Denver Dallas. Some of us gluttons for punishment or some of we gluttons for punishment that's a grammar rule i still don't really understand said you know what i gotta get this plate of broccoli with no cheese no salt no nothing and a side of cauliflower uncooked and watch the grizzlies without half their players play the Cavs without half their players and at one point dean wade who i somehow mistake for both dwayne wade and chandler parsons at the same time seven you don't, people you don't mistake him you don't mistake him for Moe's from The Office? Or Moe's from The Office. By the way, I would estimate seven people listening to this podcast right now have any idea who Dean Wade is. He played <laughs> shooting guard at one point in a lineup with Larry Nance, Andre Drummond, and I think Thon Maker. And at that exact moment, I did begin to question what I was doing with my life. When Dean Wade was at shooting guard and my brain actually registered oh, wow, the cast are using Dean Wade at shooting guard. I stepped out of my, my body stepped out of my soul and had a moment where I was like, what am I, what, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy. Anyway. I, I enjoyed it. Kudos to JB Bickerstaff for getting them a victory without anything resembling no uh, I didn't even guard remember like- they won. I don't know. I, I watched the whole game. You could have given me two guesses who won <laughs> the game and I would have maybe gotten it on the first try. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the the t- they have now moved up to 28th in shot quality as I look at it because I did this yesterday. Uh, San San Antonio is behind them, uh, given their their heavy diet of mid rangers, and Orlando is number 30 in the league. Orlando, the least interesting six and two team in NBA history. Um, I, I will I, look. It, it, I said the same thing I said about the Bucks should apply to the Clippers. If if the Bucks was a failure of execution and and whatever else. The Clippers felt like a broader spiritual failure. And it's harder to know what that means going forward. And you and I told I was talking to Richard Jefferson about this earlier this week. When Phoenix came back from 31 down on them the other day and got that game within two, I did have this feeling in my gut of, oh my again? It's happening again? And I just wonder if they're feeling that or not. But talent-wise, they're as good they're as good as anybody in the league. One to nine. I, I maybe I think I think the Lakers are a little bit better than them. I think the Lakers deserve a, a small edge, but the Clippers are really really good. And I do have in a vacuum where I don't remember that they play in the same conference as the Lakers. I do have a little bit more faith in them as a postseason team than I do in the Bucks. But the Bucks play in the somewhat weaker conference, although the East isn't that weak anymore. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. We, there's just not a clear power in the Eastern Conference that's standing between the Bucks and the finals. I mean, someone is going to emerge out of that group, but we don't know yet in the same way that we do in the West. I mean, I think the other question is, like, obviously you had the issues in the locker room last year behind between the holdover group and the Kawhi and Paul George, and it seems like Paul George in particular, and 
that's one of the reasons that Montrez Harrell is no longer there. Is it going to be a reason that Lou Williams is no longer there past the trade deadline? Because he doesn't feel, especially without Harrell as his running mate, is indispensable to them anymore. So, you know, if you get someone who's slightly more reliable point guard option to take a little of that off Kawhi's plate because he's averaging more like his assist rate is better than the average point guard this season it's yeah, wild how and you start remember he started this way last year too when his assist rate was through the roof oh my god Kawhi's gonna and then it like sort of gradually came back down to slightly above normal Kawhi levels but we saw this movie but yes to your point certainly the trade for Luke Kennard one of my first three reactions was "Ooh, that feels like that feels like uh a hedge against the Lou Williams move down the line. That feels like a Lou Williams replacement potentially. Um, we will we will have to see. But both these teams are off to. I mean, by record starts that don't really get you all that excited. I mean, the Bucks are five and three. The Clippers are six and three. Stylistically, they're interesting, and and I do think they will be. You know, they will be heard from. But. Uh, again, we're only 10 games in. We're all trying to figure out what's real and what's not. I know you have your small sample size theater podcast coming up with Wendy and the Hoop Collective, I think, this weekend, right? So I'll be eagerly listening to that. Any last points you want to make about either of these, uh, these would-be, should-be contenders? All right, I got one last stat for you. So if you look at, through eight games, the most inconsistent teams in NBA history in terms of their point differential game-to-game... These two teams are among the four most inconsistent teams in NBA history, which makes sense given the blowouts that you know my, Milwaukee had in Miami, the Clippers had to Dallas. Though all four of the top four teams are from this season. So that's what we're dealing with right now. It's the least consistent game-to-game season in NBA history through this point. That's a great stat, and I know you wanted to say something else before we finish this podcast. Yeah, wanted to take a minute here to uh, highlight our editor, Royce Webb, because uh, Friday is his last day at ESPN after nearly two decades. And definitely wanted to highlight his importance to so much of what you've read on ESPN.com's NBA page over that time. In his role as NBA deputy editor from 2004 through 2014, Royce played a key role in shaping what modern NBA coverage would become. Back when Royce moved into that position, the NBA page on ESPN reflected the sensibility of newspapers and hadn't really yet capitalized on the potential the internet provided. Together with former senior deputy editor Chris Ramsey, Royce thought bigger, helping bring in John Hollinger and give him a prominent platform long before analytics was a buzzword, highlight Chad Ford's draft coverage, and eventually add Henry Abbott and his groundbreaking True Hoop site. So many of the features we now take for granted as part of NBA coverage on ESPN.com and elsewhere were influenced by Royce's creativity and willingness to try new things. From NBA rank to hoop idea to future power rankings to the Heat Index's then revolutionary saturation coverage of the NBA's most interesting team. And along with Henry and Kevin Arnovitz, he helped identify and develop a new generation of writers through the True Hoop Network, including Zach. I was fortunate to work directly with Royce when I first arrived at ESPN and needed to adjust to writing for a bigger and broader audience than I had in the past, but I don't think I truly found my footing here until Royce returned from a brief period working with analytics content across multiple sports, including overseeing the great analytics rankings, to focus on our NBA insider content. His guidance helped me find a niche in reacting quickly to transactions and other breaking news. 
because only our names are on the pieces, we writers tend to get a lot of credit for the volume of content we produce. But it's important to remember that it's a team effort to get those stories from a Word document to the website. And Royce worked even longer days than I did during the busy transaction seasons to publish those in a timely manner. I'm sure his family will appreciate that his life won't be dominated nearly so much by the NBA during those periods. While we won't be working directly with him anymore, Royce's spirit of searching for greater truths about basketball and a better version of the game will live on so long as the writers he influenced are part of ESPN, and I can think of no greater testament to a singular career at our company. Amen. Uh, Royce has been my editor since almost Grant the folding of Grantland shortly after that, and uh, you're absolutely right that people don't realize the workload. You know, I mean, even last night, or the last piece we worked on together was my 10 Things piece. <laughs> And uh, Seth Curry was item number two in that piece. And Seth Curry uh, required a rewrite at about 12.15 a.m. And I didn't have to ask, is Royce going to be up to to take this rewrite? In fact, the question would be more flipped the other way. Is that going to be up to do this rewrite? Um, he was available. He is available almost 24-7. And the best, aside from the editing and the style and all of that, and the availability, the best thing you can say, I think one of the best things you can say about an editor is, you know, we're all working on 19 different things at once as our our editors. So once in a while, we're going to write a sentence that misses something. So the editor's job is to save you from missing that thing. So if you say, for instance, I, this is what's coming to mind. I, I wrote somewhere, you know, Christian Wood is the most is either the best or most versatile pick and roll partner James Harden pick and roll big man partner or something like that James Harden has ever had there's a sentence like that multiple of them in everything we write part of Royce what made makes Royce great is he looks at that sentence and he pauses and he'll take five minutes to make sure that that sentence is <laughs> not missing somebody obvious and he will send me back well are you counting Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant a big man pick and roll partner for James Harden or not? Because if you are, then X, Y, and Z. Happens all the time. All the time. And you multiply those five minutes times all the pieces we all write. That's a lot of minutes all of a sudden. And uh, Royce has been an absolute joy to work with. He's made all of our work better. We are all devastated that he is leaving. Um, but we all wish him well, obviously. So, KP, thank you for wrapping on, on that note. Yeah, yeah. Glad you uh, gave me the platform to do it. All right. Uh, thanks, KP. It's always uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. We'll talk cracking um, next time. Enjoy the weekend and stay safe out in Seattle. All right. Look forward to doing it. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.